Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, tonight I want to uh, continue the study that I've been doing on, uh, you know, truth that we need for life, looking at the creeds and confessions that uh, show us and tell us about uh, what it is that we believe. We know that Scripture is our ultimate authority, but we, what does Scripture teach and how can we summarize that? And we started looking at the Apostles' Creed. And as simple as the Apostles' Creed is, um, it actually, I mean, it's just packed full of good stuff. I mean, it's, it's like the minimum of what can be uh, believed. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we, it, it just summarizes so succinctly what it is that, that we uh, believe. And so uh, for a couple of weeks I talked about God the Father. And now I want to move on to the next section because the Apostles' Creed is split into three different sections about each member of the Trinity with a bunch of miscellaneous stuff kind of at the end. Although I guess it's connected to uh, the Spirit. And so we begin talking about the Christ and the true Jesus Christ. I mean, it is actually perfect. God somehow works that out, that, that last song uh, that, that we had sung here tonight just fit right into everything uh, we're going to be uh, talking about tonight. And so we, wanted, we want to worship and know the true Jesus Christ. And I say the true Jesus Christ is because there are so many people out there trying to uh, give substitutes of who the real Jesus is. Um, you know, just because world events are so crazy, there's always a lot of talk about end times and things like that, and so talk about antichrist uh, comes up a lot. And, you know, certain beliefs about the last days believe that there is going to be a antichrist who is a political leader who ushers in a tribulation, you know, until uh, Christ returns. But, you know, the concept itself of uh, the antichrist is not just one thing or one person. John is the only one that mentions uh, Antichrist. But Antichrist, according to you know, how John uses it, 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 is a spirit or a spiritual belief that holds to a false Messiah, that there is a false Messiah. Because in the Greek, the, word, the little word anti, A-N-T-I, it means to replace, replace something with something else. And so the spirit of Antichrist seeks to replace the true Christ with a substitute Christ or with a fake Christ, a replacement Christ, I guess, if you want to put it that way. So just like the old commercial said back in my day, uh, you know, accept no substitutes. Well, we don't want to accept a substitute for Jesus Christ. We can't accept a substitute for Jesus Christ because any other Jesus Christ does not save. And so we don't want to be duped or deceived by the spirit of Antichrist. And so that's why it is so important to know and understand what it is that Scripture tells us about Jesus Christ and what he has done so that we're not deceived by these phonies, these fakes. You know, Jesus himself said, and, you know, might have been talking about around the days of the, of the destruction of Jerusalem, but it, it's, it's good for any time. Jesus said there's going to be false Christs that come along. And people are going to be coming around and saying, oh, look here and look there and look everywhere. But don't believe them because there's phonies out there. And so 
even today, there's phony Christ because, for example, there's the Christ of the Muslims who is nothing but their prophet. There's the Christ of the Jehovah's Witnesses who is nothing but Michael the Archangel. There's the Christ of the woke liberal theology that's out there, the Christ who never will sit in judgment, just accepts everyone as they are, never calls anyone to be born again, never calls anyone to repentance, or anything like that. There are a lot of antichrists, fake Christ, replacement Christs out there today. And again, accept no substitutes. And uh, the devil wants to put that out there. You know, the devil's overjoyed that there's all these different Christs out there because that's what he wants to do. He wants to distract people from the one and only true Christ. You know, the devil doesn't care if you're spiritual. New age people are spiritual. He, he doesn't care about that. He doesn't care if you're moral. He doesn't care even if you go to church. What the devil does care about is if you are following and you have believed one and only true Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't care if you follow a Jesus as long as you don't follow the Jesus. And so he'll throw a bunch of antichrists out there, the spirit of antichrist, fake Christs. And so we don't want to do that. And so we have a document like the Apostles' Creed, which summarizes the major teachings about Jesus so we know who the real Jesus is. You know, as another old show used to say, will the real so-and-so step up? Well, will the real Jesus step up? The real Jesus is found in Scripture, and the Apostles' Creed gives us a wonderful summary of the teachings of Orthodox Christianity as it has been handed down to us from Scripture for many centuries. Now, the section on Jesus takes up the bulk of the Apostles' Creed. It points us to who he is, what his character is, what his nature is, who, you know, his, his title, what it is that he does, as well as his works that he has accomplished on our behalf for God. And, and so tonight, we're going to focus in on the first section. Tell you the truth, I thought we were going to be going a little bit farther than we're going to end up, but then once I started just studying this, I'm like, oh, this is so good. Our Savior is so wonderful, and there's so much we can tell about our Savior. So, you know, we may not get very, very far tonight, but hey, we're here to learn. And we're here to know about our Savior. And so the Apostle Creed, Apostles' Creed, it, it starts like this. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's what we've covered so far. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. And so the section we want to start with begins with, I believe in Jesus. And we stop right there, Jesus. You know, there's a famous quote from Juliet and Romeo and Juliet, you know, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, where Juliet, you know, she's just kind of going, going on about Romeo from, you know, up in her porch or, or whatever. And she says, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. I mean, what's in a name? Who cares about, about a name? You know, from Juliet's perspective, you know, Romeo's family name was Montague. Her name was Capulet. And, well, Capulets and Montagues, they don't mix. And they're not supposed to hang out together. They're bitter enemies, things like that. So Juliet is there. She's trying to reason 
Well, you know, if Romeo had any other name but Montague, there wouldn't be any problem. So what's, what's the name? What does a name matter? You know, names are meaningless, is what I guess Juliet is trying, trying to get to. And, well, you know, in a sense, it's true because, especially in our modern day take of names, I mean, our names are given because it's connected with a family member or something like that. But, you know, they, don't, they aren't a reflection of our character they're not a reflection of who we are. I mean, you know, the name Al or Alan, you know, my full name, it, eh, who cares what it means? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm just named after my uncle. But I'll tell you what, the same cannot be said of Jesus. His name is very important. When it comes to Jesus, there is a whole lot to a name, and no other name would fit him. Why do we say that? Well, because of what the name means. Consider what the angel tells Joseph. You know, the angel convinced Joseph to take Mary as, as his wife, and he was going to divorce, divorce her quietly. Um, but, you know, the angel convinces him to, no, this is, this is of God. And so in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So we read that verse in English, and we're like, eh, okay. I mean, th that doesn't seem to be important. They're just choosing a name. I mean, people choose names all the time. We got, if, you know, we, we got baby books that have baby, thousands of baby names in there. Just pick one, throw a dart, whatever. Pick a name. But the name that the angel told Joseph to give to the child has a connection with who he is and what he was going to do. Because the name Jesus, it's a specific name, the name Jesus, he says, it's, we're naming him that because he's going to save his people from their sins. Because the name Jesus is the Greek version of Joshua, or Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves, or Jehovah saves. Jesus' name means who he is and what he was going to accomplish. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves through Jesus. And so there is something to the name of Jesus Christ. It does declare what he was born to do. Jesus is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And his name indicates that, that work, and the Bible emphasizes the importance of the name of Jesus. And his name is important because of who he is and what he was going to do. So, for example, in Acts 4.12, it says, you know, that the apostles are talking to the Sanhedrin, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name but Jesus that's going to save. No other name than the name of Yahweh saves. He saves. And it's because of this that Jesus is the name that is above every other name. When we declare the name Jesus, we are declaring that God has made a way of salvation. And it's at that name that everyone is going to bow. What does Paul say in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11? Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth. 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the name to which everyone is going to bow. Someday, you can bow to Jesus now. You can bow to Jesus after you die, but that's not going to do you much good then. Because all you're going to be doing is recognizing too late who he is. Don't recognize too late that it is Jesus who saves. He saves us from the penalty of sin. He saves us from the power of sin. Someday he's going to save us from the presence of sin. And not only does he save our soul, he saves our bodies. There's going to come a day when we will be raised and we will have a body just like his. What's in a name? There's a whole lot in a name. Juliet may have been thinking, there's no big deal to names. Names are meaningless. But no, the name of Jesus is exalted because he is the one that brought victory over sin. He is the one that brought salvation. He is exalted because of his character, because of his nature, because of his work. What's in a name? There's a lot in the name of Jesus. But our confession continues. It says, the creed goes on to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Now you read that, and, and some people might think, and actually there's, there are people out there that believe that the, name, that the name Christ is like a last name. You know, my name is Al Perringer. His name is Jesus Christ, right? It's like Smith. Maybe it's the Smith of the Jewish nation or, or something like that. But, but Christ is not a name. Christ is not a last name. Definitely not. I mean, the Jews in that day, that's not how they named people anyway. They were named son of whoever, daughter of whoever from the city of wherever. So, you know, Jesus was probably known as Jesus, son of J Joseph of Nazareth or something along those lines. But the word Christ, it's not a name, it's a title. It's a title. Now, the Christ is the Greek version of anointed or anointed one. It's the equivalent to the Hebrew Messiah. So Christ is just another name, Messiah. So you're going along, you're reading your New Testament, you come across the phrase Jesus Christ, you can replace it and say Jesus Messiah because that's what the name means. Jesus is Jesus the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies in the Old Testament of who the Messiah would be. Well, okay, why is he called Messiah? Though? Why is he called anointed one? Why is he the anointed one? Well, the word for anointing itself means to be chosen and empowered for a specific task or for a specific purpose. Jesus was anointed for a specific task and purpose. Now, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, the the ones who were anointed were prophets and priests and kings. They were anointed, they were empowered, they were called to a specific task. Who is Jesus? He is prophet and priest and king. And obviously he's a whole lot more than that. But he is all of those roles wrapped into one. Jesus is the anointed prophet in that not only does he speak the words of God, he himself is the word of God. He is the ultimate revelation of God to this world. Jesus is the anointed priest 
in that he is a mediator of a new covenant. He mediates between God and man. He's the, he's the go-between. That's what a priest does. Priests are the go-between. Jesus is our go-between. And Jesus is the anointed king in that he is the promised heir of David who would rule and reign over God's people for all of eternity. That's Messiah. That's, he is the specially anointed one of God. And he was going to fulfill the ultimate purpose of God for redemption. He was going to save a remnant of people from the earth and bring them into God's home, God's sheepfold, whatever you might want to call it. And so Jesus' role as Messiah, the anointed one, was to be the savior of the world. And, you know, this was an important truth and revelation for the Jews in the first century. I mean, they, that's why, you know, they expected the Messiah to be one thing. They thought they understood all the, the prophecies of the Old Testament, so they, they, they overlooked some of the prophecies, and then they kind of mishmashed some of the other prophecies together. So they were expect, the Jews of the first century were expecting G, the Messiah to do one thing. He was to be one way, but then Jesus comes, and he's completely different. And so for first century Jews, I mean, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah goes against their human understanding. But to believe Jesus is the Messiah is to embrace God's revealed word. You know, people weren't sure what to make of Jesus. I mean, you read the Gospels. They weren't sure what to make of Jesus. They're like, is he the Messiah? Is he not? Is he a prophet? I mean, what is he? What, who, just say it out straight. I mean, Jesus did, wouldn't say it out straight because, one, they wouldn't believe him anyway. And two, he, he, his, his works and acts were going to speak for him. He wasn't following the plan that they thought. So, you know, you remember that, that time in, in Caesarea Philippi when Jesus asked his disciples, all right, who, who do people say that I am? Well, you know, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. There's a whole lot of answers to that. And then in Matthew 16, verses 15 and 16, he said to them, he said to his followers, the one who had been ministering with him, quite some time now. All right, who do you say that I am? Well, Simon Peter, he replies for the group, you are the Christ, meaning you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And so he recognizes that Jesus is the anointed one. He, he's the promised priest, prophet, and king who would come to save the world. I believe in Jesus Christ, but then the creed continues. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. Now, we're familiar with some of that terminology from the King James or the New King James and maybe the New American Standard and other translations. You know, we're, we're, we, we, we've heard that terminology before. Some of the other translations, like the ESV that I read from a lot when I preach, you know, it says only or one and only or only unique son. So we find it a lot in John's gospel. In John 1.14, you know, he tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only son or only begotten son from the father full of grace and truth. And then in John 3.16, y'all may have heard that verse before. 
I mean, come on. I mean, it's in every football game, right, with the sign? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then uh, a couple of verses down in John 3.18, it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only or the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God in a unique way. That's why this terminology is used, because they are pointing out that Jesus' relationship with God the Father is a whole lot different than anybody else's relationship with God the Father. Now, yes, that, that exact term is used in other contexts for other people, but it is always about a uniqueness in relationship. That they're, they're something different. And so, you know, people read that. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, and they, they protest or they wonder, well, how is that different? Isn't all Christians children of God? Yes, but not in the same way as Jesus is. And here I'm going to take just one very short, very short detour. Because you often hear people say, well, everybody is a child of God. Every human being is a child of God. That's not what the Bible says. Only those who are in covenant relationship with God are called his children. And when you look in the Old Testament, it is only Israel that is called his son. And now it is only we who are Christians, we who are in the son, are considered sons and daughters of God. So yes, we are, we Christians are children of God in one sense. But Jesus is a unique son of God because he alone shares in the nature and existence of God, the Father himself. There is no human, there is no angel, there is no creature that is a child of God like Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is unique in that he shares in the nature of and the existence of God the Father, his eternal character. That's the Trinity. Jesus is unique. There is no one who relates to the Father like Jesus relates to the Father. How we become children of God is through Jesus. We are not natural children of God. We are not children of God by nature. And our sin has definitely separated us from him. But when you read Paul, especially, he, he really talks a lot about this. We are children of God through adoption. Jesus is the only begotten. We are children through adoption, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we look at verses like Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, where Paul says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so, yes, we are his children. But we are children through adoption. I am a son of God 
by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God adopted me through Christ. But Jesus, on the other hand, has always been and always will be the unique, only begotten Son of the Father because He alone shares in the divine nature of the Father. And that's something He just has. He's eternal. The second member of the Trinity, Jesus is the unique Son because of His origin and His nature. So I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. And then it says, our Lord. There are two aspects we need to realize in this title. First, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, known as the Septuagint, they use the word kurios, they use the word Lord as a substitute for the divine name of Yahweh or Jehovah. So, in one sense, when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying that Jesus is Yahweh, Jesus is God. You know, after the, after the uh, resurrection, and, you know, we... we we give Thomas a lot of grief, Doubting Thomas. You know, how is it for 2,000 years now? What's he been known as? Doubting Thomas. But he came around, and then he went forth and planted many a church. But he came around, right? And so in John 20, verse 28, he gets it. He answers, he sees Jesus raised. He says, my Lord and my God. So he's recognized that Jesus is God. But then there's a second aspect to the term Lord, which obviously it has connotations of authority, power, leadership, headship. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate authority. I mean, he has all authority and power over us. He's in charge. He sets the rules. He sets the standards, not we ourselves. And yes, I believe that's a very important part of understanding who he is for the gospel and for salvation. Because consider what Paul tells us about being saved. What does he tell people to do? So like in Acts 16.31, he was telling the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household. And then in Romans uh, 10, 9 and 10, very famous verses about salvation, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with a heart one believes and is justified and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. What does Paul keep saying? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he's God and believe that he's Lord. Doesn't say believe in the Savior, Jesus Christ, although that is what he is. It says believe in the Lord. Some people say, well, that's lordship, salvation, that's adding to the gospel. But again, it's about rightly believing in Jesus and who he is. If you believe in the wrong Jesus, you're sunk. You need to believe in the right Jesus. You believe that Jesus is God, that he is Yahweh, and that he is the ultimate authority. He is the one who died for us. And we recognize the truths that Scripture says about him. He is our Savior, and he is our Lord. You can't separate the two. <coughs> I mean, if he's going to be your Savior, he's going to be your Lord. So, 
this is our wonderful Savior that we just sung wonderful praises to tonight. Now, some may think, okay, all of this doctrine stuff is boring. But hear me, this is important to know because the world is trying to pass off its own version of Christ. There are antichrists. Even John himself said, there have been many antichrists. There's going to be a whole lot more antichrists, would be kind of the, uh, the inference of what he, he is trying to say. So, but this is the true Jesus, except no substitutes. And if you've believed in the wrong Jesus, you have a chance to believe in the right Jesus. And I pray that you do. And if you aren't living your life daily by faith in the right Jesus, you're not, you're not living in victory, and you're not living in the power and the hope and the joy and the peace that comes from following the right Jesus. And so get, get, that, get that right. I mean, at, again, the, the evils of, of the Internet. I see so many people out there proclaiming untruths about Jesus. And they won't listen to Scripture. They won't listen to reason. So there's a whole lot of different Christs out there. But there's only one who will save. And I pray you know that one. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.